Today on the Freedom Cast, Communications Director for the Tenth Amendment Center, Mike Meharry, is here. We'll talk about a great victory against Obamacare in Georgia, a tough loss in South Carolina at the hands of establishment Republicans, and how you can help push back against Medicaid expansion in your home state. I'm your host, Brad Jackson, and you're listening to the March 20th, 2014 edition of the Freedom Cast. Joining us now on the Freedom Cast, Communications Director at the Tenth Amendment Center, Mike Meharry is here. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you here. Hey, glad to be on. Appreciate the time. You guys do great work at the Tenth Amendment Center on uh, pushing back against several things, including uh, Obamacare, the Medicaid expansion. Uh, there have been some key developments in some states recently. Why don't you talk to us about Georgia? Because that we've had some news there. Yeah, Georgia's the good news. Uh, we're really excited about what they've managed to get done down there. Uh, Representative Jason Spencer, and uh, let me give him props right off the top. This guy introduced the bill. Uh, it originally started as complete noncompliance with implementation of, uh, of Obamacare. Um, very, very broad, far-reaching bill. And, you know, through the political process, it's, it's gotten whittled down, and it's not everything that he wanted, but... He was such a trooper in pushing this piece of legislation through and just really, really working hard. And, you know, if we had as many state legislators like him, uh, it would be amazing what we'd get done. But what we ended up with in Georgia is a bill that basically does four things that will help slow and hinder the implementation of Obamacare in Georgia. The first thing it does is it completely bans the creation of a state-run exchange. Now, they were one of the states that opted out, but this codifies that into law. Georgia, no state exchange, not going to do it. Uh, the second thing it does is it prohibits any state resources, that's taxpayer money or grant money that's given to the state, any state resources at all, it bans those from being used to push for Medicaid expansion. So in other words, uh, you know, the Department of Health in some county, they can't spend state money to advocate for the expansion of Medicaid. And this is an important thing because we see this in a lot of states. We get these uh, bureaucracies and these agencies that hey, say, hey, we want this, and they'll start spending state resources to lobby to get it, to get it done, not anymore in Georgia. And this goes hand-in-hand with another bill that also passed in Georgia that requires the legislature to approve Medicaid expansion, so it will keep the governor from being able to unilaterally expand the Medicaid program, and that's very important. Third thing it does is uh, Georgia had a navigators program that was run by the University of Georgia, and uh, Georgia resources were used for that, and that will end under this bill. So no more state uh, navigator programs that the feds want to navigate people into this horrible system that they're going to have to figure out how to do it with their own resources. And uh, and then the, the final piece of the puzzle, see, that was one, two, three. Uh, I can't remember what the fourth thing was off the top of my head. Isn't that horrible? It'll come to me in a second. <laughs> uh, let, let me ask this. You, you mentioned states using resources to push this. What other states can you point to that have 
have done that because, it, as you said, that's that's kind of scary. Well, you know, we know that um, we've got three states that are quote unquote Republican states, and uh, interestingly, this was brought up in a debate in South Carolina yesterday. But there's three Republican states that have expanded uh, the Medicaid program, and that's Arizona, finger wagging Brewer. She expanded it down there, New Jersey, with Chris Christie. And uh, in the third states, we got Arizona, New Jersey, and Ohio uh, have all expanded Medicaid. And, and that's because of lobbying and pressure from, you know, not only the hospitals and stuff that want the short-term influx of cash, but also uh, from, you know, these internal organizations that think, oh, you know, this is going to be a great idea. It's going to be good. We're going to get people covered. And, you know, let's be honest. Some of these people have good intentions. But, you know, what they say about good intentions and, and the path that it is paved with, uh, these folks don't understand that this money is going to disappear and this state's going to be left holding the bag. And uh, so, you know, this happens in, in a lot of places. I'm sure it happened in these three states in order to get Republicans to, to go along with this type of expansion. And of course, you know, we've got half of the states have expanded Medicaid and the other half have refused. So uh, the ones where it has been refused to expand, there's a lot of pressure both internally and externally to, to get that done. It's funny you mention that because you see the argument from Democrats that, you know, hey, this is this is free money to uh, help you on this program. You know, you should expand this to to uh, help the people in your state uh, who are, aren't getting the proper coverage. But when you look at Medicaid, first of all, Medicaid has terrible health outcomes for people. It, it does not provide them great quality of care. And no money from D.C. is ever free money because, as you mentioned— that, that money comes now, but when that spigot turns off, all of a sudden you're left holding the bag, and it's a pretty big price tag. Right, and, you know, I tell people this all the time, you know, bigger picture, we're dealing with the federal government that's run up, what, $17, $18 trillion. It goes up so fast I can't even keep up with what the latest figure is. But this money doesn't even exist. So this is, this is borrowed and printed money, and the implications and ramifications of this endless spending are mind-boggling. And so to stand back and say, oh, yeah, we can afford to do this and we can afford to do that is, is simply it's an impossibility given the realities of the system. So, you know, it's a good political posturing to say, yeah, we're going to cover people. And, you know, in, in, the, in the talking points that you hear from a lot of the hardcore Democrats and people on the left is, oh, you want people to die and be sick. And no, we want realistic programs at the state level, not coming down from, from the feds because, as you said, horrible outcomes. And, you know, it's like anything else. You don't want to monopolize power at the top. Nobody would want Walmart to be the monopoly grocer for the entire United States. And yet, all these people are all excited about the federal government being the monopoly provider of health care. Well, I can tell you, you're going to get the same or worse outcome. Okay, let's talk about South Carolina. This is sort of the uh, flip side of the coin. Uh, establishment Republicans in South Carolina killed something recently that could have really uh, helped out. What, talk about that for a minute. Well, absolutely, and, and I have to go back and give a little background on this. Uh, this was House Bill H-3101, and uh, this bill was actually introduced last year in the House and passed the House and was carried over to this year. The bill that was passed in the House was, uh, I guess what you would call a pure nullification bill. It kind of used nullification language, and, and uh, it really didn't have any shot of ever passing the Senate. But over the summer, Senator Davis, who, another senator that really – went out on a limb and worked tirelessly to get a bill passed. 
he worked over the summer and he crafted a very, very good amendment. It was basically a strike-all amendment. In other words, it would have replaced all the language in H. 3101 with new language. And this new language was based on the anti-commandeering doctrine, which a lot of the Tenth Amendment Center legislation is based on. And essentially, that's the legal principle that the federal government cannot coerce states or force states to implement their programs or enforce their rules and regulations. Federal government passed them. They can do it themselves. Senator Davis, really good amendment that basically would have pulled state resources from implementation of a lot of the pieces of, of Obamacare. He was very careful to make sure that it wouldn't disturb people that already had insurance, you know, so you couldn't yell that, oh, you're taking away coverage. It wouldn't have done any of that. But it would have greatly hindered implementation of Obamacare in South Carolina. And people in South Carolina don't want it. It's overwhelming in that state. People don't want it. Well, this amendment uh, was introduced to a lot of fanfare. There was a lot of support, and it got into the uh, Senate floor, passed out of committee, and once debate began, they started using parliamentary tricks to hold it up. And this is typical in South Carolina. They use what they call perfecting amendments as basically a filibuster. They'll put a whole bunch of amendments on a bill and then force debate on each one of these amendments and waste time until eventually you run out of time and the bill dies. So the Democrats tried this. There was over 100 amendments tacked onto this bill. So they were trying to obstruct, and that was expected, and, and Senator Davis was prepared for that. But what ended up happening was the Senate president, who's a Republican, his name's McConnell, he actually struck down Davis's amendment in its entirety on what I consider to be completely basis, baseless reasoning. He was saying that the amendment wasn't germane to the regular bill. And then... Davis had crafted other amendments that gradually were less and less, but still would have gotten something. This Senate president struck each one of those down and forced the Senate to basically vote on what wasn't a very good bill, and uh, it was voted down, and so that battle has been lost in South Carolina. But the good news is, is I, I think it's educated a lot of people about the anti-commandeering doctrine. It's educated a lot of people that, yes, states can constitutionally and legally fight Obamacare at the state level, and I'm sure that Senator Davis will uh, reintroduce next year and continue this fight. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask. What's what's next in South Carolina? Well, I haven't heard you know specifically, and, and this all happened late last night. In fact, I was actually already in bed when the uh, when the final vote vote was taken. So. Uh, I haven't heard anything official, but you know I'm certain that, that Senator Davis, as hard as he's worked and as hard as he's fought, as much support as there was for fighting back against Obamacare, I'm sure that he will continue. I, I would guess, and this is purely my speculation, but I would guess that he will probably introduce his amendment language as a as a, its own bill in the next legislative session. And you know, going back to Georgia, I did talk to uh, Representative Spencer yesterday, and he already has plans to build on the victory that was won there. Uh, the next step that he wants to take, and I think this is a fantastic idea, and, and other states should look at doing this, is is prohibiting the state insurance commissioner, and that's basically the insurance enforcement arm in the state government. Uh, he has an idea and a proposal that would prohibit the insurance commissioner for from dealing, ruling with, taking any advice on, talking about at all any of the federal insurance mandate. So things that come down from the federal government, like the, the mandate that you have to have abortion coverage or the mandate that you have to cover people uh, people's kids until they're 26. If somebody called the state insurance commissioner and said, hey, I'm having trouble. My insurance company won't uh, cover my kid and he's 25, the insurance commissioner would basically say, that's a federal mandate. Call the federal government and get them to help you. 
fun thing about that is the federal government doesn't have any entity to do that. I guess I maybe they'll have to call the IRS or something. But it's a really, really good idea, again, to legally obstruct the implementation of Obamacare. And that's what we want to do. We're not very hopeful that Congress is ever going to repeal this thing. Being realistic, you know, they've had some opportunities to defund. I don't think they'll ever do it. So if we really want to repeal it, at least in practice, we need to do this at the state level. Because when the state refuses to cooperate, you get enough states to do it, the system is going to fall in on itself. The whole thing was predicated on state cooperation and state assistance. And we've already seen the ramifications of so many states not setting up the exchanges. And I really think that that was a lot of the problem when we had all these computer issues and, you know, their website didn't work and all of that. That was purely a factor that they never intended to have 31 states not set up the state exchanges that overwhelm the federal system. They don't have the resources to do this. So let's make them do it themselves and let's watch it collapse. And then we can build a decent system that's more localized and, you know, is not uh, relying on this monopoly centralized structure. What other states are you looking at uh, next? What else is on your horizon in this in this state battle against uh, Obamacare Medicaid expansion? Well, there there's a number of states that have um, have looked at various ideas and and uh, have have died in this session. Really, South Carolina and Georgia were the two states that had the best chance of doing something in, in this legislative session. Oklahoma has had some uh, really good ideas. Um, uh, I think there's some stuff in Arizona. Uh, we are seeing many states that are battling the Medicaid expansion and, and trying to codify that to make sure Tennessee, for instance, uh, they're working on a, pushing a bill through that would do what Georgia did and require the legislature to expand Medicaid. So we don't really expect a lot to happen the rest of this session, but I really think that now that Georgia has taken the step, other states are going to look and say, you know what, we can do this too. We've got a model now. We kind of saw this last year um, People used that South Carolina bill that, like I said, probably wasn't the, the best language in the world. We did see that introduced in a number of states this past session, and being that it wasn't the best language in the world, most of those bills, none of those bills ever made it out of committee. But hopefully these states will look at the success in Georgia and this real strong bill that they put together and use that as a model, and I really think we'll see a lot more movement, especially as this thing gets implemented, because you and I both know that the horror stories of uh, Obamacare have only just begun. Absolutely, and that's something I wanted to touch on. A, a lot of reporting has been done recently on the spikes in premium costs that people are facing and will face um, because of this law. Do you think that will uh, have that will motivate more people uh, in these states and, and sort of on a, on a national movement to push back against Obamacare? Yeah, I definitely do. You know, there's, there's nothing that motivates the masses politically more than a hit to their pocketbook. You know, it's easy. You know, we can talk about different issues, and, and a lot of these are abstract, and they kind of float out there, and, and we might get angry about certain things, you know. But not until it really personally affects us do we get really angry. And, you know, I've, I've had this happen. I remember uh, this is on a, on a local level, but this is a, probably a good example. When I first moved to Lexington, Kentucky, and, and was doing a lot of freelance writing, uh, I found out that I had to pay like $300 just to set up an account so they could collect my city employment tax. I'm like, what? Are you kidding? I mean, I was outraged. <laughs> but that's my personal pocket. Now, you know, somebody else sitting around that, that's not self-employed or not, you know, earning income like that, they might get mad 
couldn't work as bad as I was. So, yes, absolutely. When people start losing coverage, when people start looking at their their policies and saying, why in the world am I paying for pregnancy coverage? I'm a dude. You know, or uh, when all of the promises and, and uh, you know, utopian dreams that have been sold have come out to be false, people are going to be very angry, and I think that's when you're going to really start seeing a lot of pressure uh, from the people. And that's what we really need. We need individuals. We need the grassroots folks to get involved because the problem that we have is that we've got a lot of big-money corporations that are fighting against us. And we saw that in both Georgia and South Carolina. We have a lot of healthcare uh, corporations, hospital corporations, big insurance companies. They like this stuff because you know what? It creates an instant market for them, and they're short-sighted. They're looking at the short-term cash cow. They don't care about what happens three or four years down the road, and they're lobbying heavy and spending a lot of money and putting a lot of pressure on people that should be good guys, and they're saying, hey, hey, let this go through. Block this. Uh, block these efforts to stop implementation because, you know, this is going to be good for business for us. And unfortunately, a lot of politicians, that money talks. So we need the grassroots to talk louder. And when these bills come up, we need people to call their representatives, to call these committee chairs, call Senate presidents and say, look, we need you to do what is right for us, not what is right for some big company that stands to make a few bucks over two years. Okay, let's talk about that. How can people help the Tenth Amendment Center and and the sort of the broader efforts to push back against this. What can people do? What concrete things? Well, I'll tell you a couple of things that they can do. First off, I know you guys are great, so they need to sign up for your email alerts because you guys have been pushing. I, I know that you've helped out in both Georgia and South Carolina with sending out action alerts on this stuff. I encourage people that are already connected with you utilize those resources. Look at those emails when they come in. Make those phone calls. The other thing that you can do is you can head over to 10thamendmentcenter.com and you spell that all out. So it's D-E-N-T-H amendmentcenter.com. And if you get on the main page up at the top you'll, in the toolbar, you'll see a section that says action. If you click on that, it'll pull down a little menu and you'll see different issues that you can take action on. Click on Obamacare. When you get on the Obamacare action page, you'll find some really cool stuff. You will see a map. And on that map, you will see different states have different color shadings on them. If you click on your state, you'll find out exactly what you can do in your state to help stop the implementation of Obamacare. So, for instance, if you go to that Georgia, you'll actually find information about uh, House Bill 707, which is the bill that just passed. Uh, if you go to, say, maybe uh, Nebraska, you might see nothing there. But when you click on it, you'll have some steps that you can take to introduce model legislation to your state legislatures. We've also created some... Uh, contact information for the state so that you can figure out how to contact your representative and your state senator. And when a bill is working through, this is where it's really great, you can actually track the bill all the way through the process. So, you know, if the bill is in the House uh, Insurance Committee, you'll find that out and you'll have contact information on who is on that committee and their phone numbers. You can call them up and say, hey, give this bill a hearing. So really great tools that can be used to find out what's going on and what steps you can take but these tools are all useless unless you do the clicking and phone calling. You know, it takes a little effort. It might take you 10 or 15 minutes uh, a couple times a week to check this stuff out, but I guarantee you this type of pressure from the public works, especially at the state level. I know a lot of us have had these bad experiences, and you call your congressman or your senator in Washington, D.C., and you talk to some 20-year-old intern who 
blows you off, you know, maybe puts a check on a piece of paper or something, and then two weeks later you get a form mail thanking you for your call. That's not how it works at the state level. These guys and gals take this stuff very seriously. I talked to the state representative in Kentucky uh, a few months ago, and he told me that he's actually gone through entire legislative sessions without hearing one phone call from a constituent. So if that's the norm, can you imagine if all of a sudden 100, 200, 300 constituents call their office on a given bill? It blows their minds, and it scares them because their number one priority is to get elected. And they realize if they're making their constituents angry, they're not going to get elected. And that overcomes the money that's thrown at them by these, uh, you know, these corporate bigwigs and insurance companies and lobbyists. So you can make a difference, especially at the state level. Okay, let's go out on, on this totally unrelated. You're an award-winning sports reporter. What's your bracket look like for the uh, for the NCAA tournament? Who are you picking to win? Oh, my gosh. You know what's funny? Uh, I, I actually I actually did win a couple of sports uh, writing awards. Um, I'm so wrapped up in uh, political stuff and watching inane debates. And, you know, I spent all night <laughs> yesterday. I literally spent four or five hours yesterday watching the uh, Senate hearings in South Carolina. So I'm not that connected with what's going on. I live in Kentucky, so, you know, everybody hears all the UK, UK. Uh, I lived in Florida for 20 years, so I've got a soft spot for the Gators, and uh, you know I've seen them play a couple of times. I, I, I had a hard time betting against them with their uh, with their defensive prowess, but uh, you know I, I think uh, Michigan State is in a position to make a run. I think Louisville can maybe make a run. Uh, you know you never can count out Duke or Kansas, but uh, I don't even have a bracket, so you know that's about as specific. Now if you want to talk about hockey, we can talk about hockey. <laughs> I uh, I used to play some hockey. I was really really terrible at it, but we can save that for another show. Um, I, I did. I played as well. Mike Meharry from the Tenth Amendment Center. You can find them online at tenthamendmentcenter.com, as he mentioned. Mike, thanks so much. It's been great having you here. We appreciate it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'm uh, glad to come on anytime, and, and again, appreciate all the work that you guys are doing. We need to we need to build these partnerships and these coalitions and uh, and get this stuff done because the, the, the left and the progressives, they have, you know, they excel at this kind of, uh, of small, one step at a time kind of work. And, and we've got to implement those types of actions ourselves if we're going to win this battle. Great. Thanks, Mike. We appreciate it. Thank you.